they were trying to get Dave and Chris to film a promo um, for like the shows they were going to do in Europe. The date was September 10th was one of the shows and I think that was the show in Copenhagen maybe or something. Okay. And Dave's like, 9-11 was one of the worst days of all time. 9-10, not that bad of a day. Anyway, we're doing a comedy show on 9-10. <laughs> Hello, Building Friendships. I'm John Sosis. My guest today, the one and only, straight off tour with Chris Rock, formal Friday man himself, Rick Dingram. It's not formal Friday. We're shooting on a Saturday, but last night was formal Friday. You showed up in the suit. It's true. I did. And sometimes uh, if, if I'm on the earlier show and there's less chance of me not getting, you know, an hour late, then I'll wear the suit. Oh, so it's, it's very particular. It's not even just Friday. Yeah, I mean, if I was on a Friday late show and I found out I had an 11 o'clock spot, Fuck in that. my mind I'd go, it might be 11.45 and then I'm going to have to stand around in a suit for hours. That's terrible. That's a nightmare. I'm a suit big time show guy. I should have my own green room where I can put the suit on five minutes to show time. It's ridiculous that they don't provide that for me. If McCartney's not here, is there even a show? That's really the, the question. You're a little bit spoiled. I mean, people would say that I would say that I suffered. And <laughs> that, that is, that, you know what? That's fair. Um, today, I'm st I think we're actually going to finish this today. I've been going at this for a few episodes. Rick is going to do something that Don Barris couldn't do. And with Formal Friday, we had to get him the classiest Lego set, hold up the instructions, let him see what it is. We're going James Bond. James Bond, Aston Martin. First thing I looked at, I noticed guys on the wrong side of the car, and I went, man, why am I building this British bullshit? Fuck the Queen, by the way, right? That's are, an appropriate reaction. Are we doing sound uh, bites? Are we going to use that? Is that could, can we make a clip out of that so we I get we all of England mad? Yeah, we're going to clip it. All right, We're going to clip yeah. it. They're, 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 they're going through a rough time. I think now's the time to clip that, put it out. You should um, get uh, King Charles on the show. You think he'll do it? Dude, that dildo isn't doing anything, Wait, man. but did you see his... Do you think with, with those hands, he would be able to do this? I, what excited me is I thought these were the instructions, and I thought it was step one, find the base, <laughs> step two, car complete. Don Barris thought the same thing. He pushed all the pieces together and just put the wheels on both sides of it. Smart. Not exactly how it's supposed to go, but I appreciate that he tried. Um... So you, what, I don't even know where to start because you had a crazy year. You had probably, would you say it was the best year of your comedy career? Um, it was definitely the best year of my comedy career. No question about that. Yeah. So you, you were here one night, Chris Rock saw you up and he said, that guy's coming on tour with me. Well, you know, I lucked out. Uh, I got COVID from the comedy <laughs> store. Wait, wait. And are we not... I don't, I don't, I'm trying to think if you told me this, this is, is this backstory to him figuring out? This is what leads up to him seeing me is I got COVID from the comedy store one night. And I only say that because me and Taylor Tomlinson and Mark Marin all got COVID the same day. And it was like three, four days after we all had shows in the OR. So 
I was out for like two weeks because I got COVID from here. And then I came back and uh, second night back, I was standing in the parking lot and Rock showed up and I assumed he was going to bump me and uh, asked Emily and she said, no, he's just hanging out, I guess. And so I was like, oh, okay. And so then I put my fury, my just immediate... I'm going to get screwed somehow away and had a good set. And then he came up to me afterwards and uh, he basically told me he hates crowd work, but he really enjoyed what I did. Which is, I guess, a compliment in some ways, but then you don't, you don't really see the compliment pay off until he brings you on tour. Like that, if you, if you hate crowd work, you're not letting crowd work open up the show for you. And yeah. I mean, not nothing against Chris Rock, and I don't want to ruin it, ruin it from happening again. But every single person I spoke to that saw your show was like, "Who was the opener? Was the best, and it was you." Like the white guy that opened was the best part of the show. Which I, I mean, I'm sure Chris killed also, but that was my favorite thing to hear every single time somebody reviewed the show. I always I think it's racist that I'm always referred to as the white guy. I think it's not racist enough. I think there needs to be better descriptors about that. Um, Uh, Someone showed me um, people on Reddit. It's one of these uh, these nerd websites where the (laughs) the losers go and they chitter chat about, you know, the what have yous. And uh, (laughs) there was a group of people who just kept referring to me as the white guy. And they really enjoyed the white guy. And then they were like, I, I would go see the white guy again. And then someone was like, you don't even know what his name is. And they were like, if he came back and advertised it as the white guy from Dave and Chris, we would all go. So here, here's, here's the business question. Do you do that? Do you, first of all, it would be hilarious if your manager calls up and says, hey, we, we, want, we want to book Rick Ingram at your club. He's the white guy from Chris Rock's global tour. People, oh, yeah, I never, I never cared enough to look up what his name was. I mean, that's kind, of, that's kind of genius. Like, when you start going out on the road again, that's the move. What, what was your favorite city, and what, what city did you fucking hate? Um, well, Reno's the grossest place that ever existed. That checks out. Um, but... One of the best crowds by far. I mean, those trash people are really something when it comes to comedy. Uh, it's, it's no holds barred up there. I hear the same thing about Florida. Is it? Do you think that's just that's coincidence, or do you think that's just the way it is? And Florida is literally the rest of America just two drinks drunker. So <laughs> it's trash people in a lot of it. Parts of it are pretty nice, but it's just a bunch of extra drunk idiots. The whole state is on spring break mode. So that's it sounds about right. I mean, I don't hear great things. It's like two o'clock in the afternoon. They're mixing their medication and their booze. And by dinner time, everyone's ready to fucking call it in. You know, Florida, Florida, we're calling it in. (laughs) We're going to call it in. It's nine o'clock. The state motto, uh, which which place did you love the most? Was there a place that you loved the most that was also actually a great Um, crowd? Copenhagen was great. Um. All the European crowds were amazing. I don't know if they just assume 
that what we're saying is funny or if they actually understand the cultural references. Um, we were in Germany and it was rainy and kind of terrible when we were there, but the crowds were great. You know, they got all my Nazi references. Uh, it really took it in stride. It, it's funny you say that. Do, do you do you think that that happens a lot at the store with the crowds? Because I remember when I was doing stand-up, Broadway Comedy Club in Times Square is all tourists. And there was, there was always a crowd of Germans in there. I don't know if they were paid plants or what, but they always, uh, they always got the Holocaust material. Someone did tell us not to, best not to break not, any Nazi yeah. jokes. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, 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 obviously. Oh, no. Oh, no. But then, you know, you're, you're trying to figure shit out. And uh, I, I like to make fun of ge uh, ge different generations of people. Yeah. And, and when I was talking about boomers, I asked them if they also called it boomers. It was at that moment I realized that above boomers was, we call it the greatest generation because they killed Nazis. Oh, no. But they, you can't call German people who are older than boomers the greatest generation because they are Nazis. <laughs> And so in my mind, I'm like, oh, fuck, I can't take this any further. And then I'm like, oh, I, I mean, I can definitely take it further. And so I'm like, do we have boomers here? And I went in, I made fun of German boomers and uh, talked about how terrible American boomers are. And I was like, but what, you know, they got a lot to live up to, you know, because their parents, you know, that's the greatest generation. You guys got the, oh, I guess you guys called them Nazis, huh? <laughs> Uh, and everyone laughed and then there was like one really uncomfortable dude in the front and um like you didn't you didn't enjoy that reference and the guy said something he was like it basically said i was being hacky or something and i go wait are you german and he said he was austrian and i go what do you do and he said uh i have a podcast oh, no. and i go so you're an austrian with a podcast and listen i i gotta say in terms of bad attitudes and Austrians in this country, not a good plan. I'm like, did you get that one? That was another Nazi reference. And then you just really kind of poke the bear. I don't. We're not supposed to talk about this. Anyway, some of your grandparents, what they did was, do they teach you guys the Holocaust? Do you guys do history like we do in America? Is is there a situation where you're dealing with bookers in those? Uh... No, it's no holds barred. It's Chris and Dave, so they so can... they know what they're getting. Yeah, I mean, they can't tell those guys what to do. Yes. And they literally just booked those guys, and then it's up to those guys who they bring. So the booker has no, he doesn't even have a connection to me. He could complain to Chris and yeah. Dave, but I mean, they're just going to look at him like, what? You think we give a shit? <laughs> but Dave is like, I'm glad you said something, man. I'm going to do my Nazi stuff. Oh, uh, like, you, you loosen like, the oh, crowd for it. Fair enough. <laughs> I look forward to uh, one day hearing his uh, trans-Nazi material in the special. He, uh, <laughs> we were somewhere, I can't even remember where we were now, but they were trying to get Dave and Chris to film a promo um, for like the shows they were going to do in Europe. And was, the date was September 10th was one of the shows and I think that was the show in Copenhagen, maybe, or something. Okay. And Dave's like, 
9-11 was one of the worst days of all time. 9-10, not that bad of a day. Anyway, we're doing a comedy show on 9-10. And that guy's just like, you can't. <laughs> look at everyone's face, just like. Was it just the most insane tour ever? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, it sounds like fun. fun. It is. Yeah. yeah. And you get out of this dump for a little bit. Yeah. The I mean, dump, the, the shows were great. And I was treated way better than I deserve. And uh, see, I would disagree with that. I feel like you've paid your dues and you deserve. Listen, be... I, I, I deserve nicer than what I could get on my own right now. But <laughs> I, I was uncomfortable at some of the hotels I had, was staying. I'm just like, they're going to find out I don't belong here. I have my own toilet. What is this? Someone's, someone's from housekeeping is going to come in and tell me that I'm supposed to head to the Holiday Inn. When did you move to L.A.? Uh, I moved in 2002. Okay, so you've been here about 21 years now. Yeah. Uh, and did you come for a particular reason? Um, I just, I was doing comedy in Kansas City. Okay. And I basically had always kind of, my plan was once I was old enough to get into the comedy clubs, I was going to move to New York or L.A. So how old were you when you started? Um... I started doing comedy regularly at a comedy club. I was maybe just before I turned 19. I was in college, freshman okay. in college. So you, you moved to L.A. and what, 2002, what year did you get passed at the store? Um, following year, 2003. Oh, shit. So that was, that was a pretty quick turnaround. Did yeah, that... I got passed really quick. I, I, I was doing my... Uh, uh, my showcase to try and be a doorman. Okay. And Mitzi passed me as a regular. That's that's crazy because the few people I've had do episodes so far, they have similar stories where they just get passed randomly as opposed to busting their ass for years just to never be passed. Yeah, I looked. She came in specific. Like when I got to work that day, they were like, Mitzi's coming in tonight. It was like, oh, okay. And then um, they're like, yeah, she's going to pass Ari tonight. And so that was just the deal. It was like she had been torturing Ari for years. <laughs> he had, everyone kept saying he was the new Gary Shandling because she just kept showcasing him and not passing him. So word was she was coming in to pass him. Ari came knowing he was getting passed, allegedly, as long as he didn't fuck up. Um, so, yeah, she came in. That was her plan. She passed Ari. So were you ever a door guy? I was a, I was a door guy then. Oh, so for that one year. I, I started working um, probably April. It was probably March or April of 2003. I started working there. Okay. And then I got passed in September of 2003. Got it. So, so I was a doorman for like five months. Oh, shit. And then okay. I got passed. Not a bad deal. And then um, I, I was terrible at comedy. And so it was it was terrible. Were you doing more written material when you started? I assume that's how you got. I was, a, I was, I was an impressionist. We're going to get to that. And, okay. <laughs> uh, so I did impressions and they were like terrible knockoff Will Ferrell impressions and shit. Can you, can you give it a go or is that Absolutely retired? Absolutely not. That's retired? 
Yeah. Because you do, you do, I was going to say, you do the best dice that you can possibly do. <laughs> dice, is, dice is easy, though. You just got to say the dumbest thing you can think of as arrogantly as possible. It's amazing. He's an amazing human being. Like, the way his mind works is 100% just, if he's with friends, he will do or say anything if he thinks that will get the biggest laugh out of you. Which you have to respect. You That's, gotta respect. There's someone yeah. who just doesn't give a fuck. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Like what he's doing now on, on Instagram is hilarious. Dude. He just goes up to strangers. <laughs> do, you, do you want a picture? He saw, we were at an airport and he saw these two lesbians and they were like butch lesbians. We were in New Jersey and he like kept poking me and like pointing at him. And I'm just like, oh man, yeah, no, I see him. <laughs> And then he's like, keeps walking over closer to him and he's like calling me. I was like, so I walk over and Eleanor's with us. And Dice and Eleanor are a couple at this point. And, okay. Uh, he, he basically tells El Eleanor and he like points at him and she's just like, kind of rolls her eyes, but it is in for the, the game. And so then he starts yelling at Eleanor to get the suitcases. And he's like, going on oh this dumb woman <laughs> you're such a dummy why do i even have you here and she's like playing andrew i'm sorry i can't the suitcase isn't out what do you want me to do do you want me to climb in there just stop talking that's what i want and then he turns to these two butch lesbians and he goes chicks you dudes know what i'm talking about and i was laughing so hard and one of the ladies goes, you're horrible. And the other one is like, just awful. And then he was like, what? what you, come on, guys. And as they just wandered off, and he just looked at me like, how fun is this? And I'm like, we're grown. I was 23 years old. He was probably 50. Oh, man. That sounds like the, but that sounds like the best combination. It's fun. Dyson, Eleanor on the road as a couple. For a while, he'd. After I did a couple of weeks on the road with him, he would just call me. Hey, we got to do some chores today. <laughs> and I'd drive all the way over to his house. And uh, he'd be like, come on, we're going out. And we'd get in his, he had an Escalade at the time. We'd drive to a Toys R Us. On, uh, used to be on La Cienega. Okay. Uh, like all the way down next to the 10. And so we, we go in there and he's riding bikes around the toys are us and it's all black people working there and none of them have any idea who he is oh no and so he's just like i need to take the bike for a ride <laughs> and the guy's like yeah you can't ride the bikes in here it's a kid's bike and he's like yeah it's for my kid he's bigger than me <laughs> oh dang the f so and so there was no point. We didn't buy anything. We just hung out for there for like 30 minutes. He just likes terrorizing people. And then we, we left. And he didn't film it. It was just, <laughs> he used to film all this stuff, but that time he just did it just to go mess with the guys at Toys R Us, I guess. Now he's just messing people, messing with people on the streets of New York and it's fucking dangerous. He's like playing with fire now. Because first of all, he's covered up. So even as big as he is, he's covered up so you can't tell who he is. And he just goes up to people on the street asking if they want photos. Excuse me. Did you want a photo? <laughs> so Dice went to my high school and he started by where I lived in Sheepshead Bay at Pips. So Pips was 
the like I guess the spot at the time. And uh, so when he came here, Eleanor introduced me and was just like, "Yeah, he grew up in Brooklyn. He went to Madison." So we we like I guess you hit it off. Yeah, we hit it off. So one day, the, my first real interaction with him alone, he comes into the the main room, and I'm there during the Is day. Is this a fuck story? We did fuck, okay. but he he came in right after he had his eyes uh, dilated. So he was walking into <laughs> furniture. He just starts knocking over f- furniture, and his son is behind him picking it up. And then he talks to me. He's like, "Where are the t-shirts?" He comes in. I don't do it the good dice, but he comes in, starts trying to find the t-shirts in the in the main room, knocking over all the tables. Then then I was like, "I'll, I'll what do you need? I'll, I'll go grab the t-shirts. I'll go take you there." He's like, "Do you want to take a picture with me?" I was like, "No, no I'm good." I'm good, Dice. He goes, take a picture. I was like, no, I'm good. He goes, we're going to take a picture. <laughs> Get out your phone. <laughs> I take out a phone. And he, he's like, I'll do it. And then he, he takes a selfie. And then I'm like, all right, I have a picture with Dice. I'm going to post it. But no, one, no one's going to fucking believe that he requested the picture. No. It looks like he came into work and I fucking fanboyed him. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks uh, like. I was here one night. They were roasting one of the pro wrestlers. This okay. was probably 10 years ago or something. And... Uh, Buff Bagwell was here. Do you know who that is? Yeah. So Buff Bagwell was here, and he literally was walking around asking everybody if they wanted to take a picture with him, and almost nobody knew who he was. I think Earl Skakel had to take like 15 pictures with him. <laughs> you know, all right, Buff, let's do one more. Where's <laughs> like waitresses, you want a picture? And they're like, I don't know who you are. I'm sorry. <laughs> one of the creepiest, saddest comedians I ever met. I walked behind this building one night and he was uh, sitting by himself in the alleyway. And I went, oh, it's Gallagher. Cause I was with a couple people and I go, what's up Gallagher? And he goes, oh, nothing. You guys want to hear a poem I wrote about suicide? <laughs> I was like, you goddamn right we do Gallagher. <laughs> what is wrong with people here? A lot. I mean, when I first got here and like, I'm, I'm happy I could at least I feel like we're we're friends, but yeah. like you and Eleanor were the two I was terrified of because you guys were like the gatekeepers of old school comedy store, and I was the guy coming in trying to bring in new school comedy store with like microphones that worked and people that know how to hit record. And I was like, oh my god, they're gonna hate me. They're gonna hate the guy who comes in and wants to fix things. Well, it just the frustration initially was like, oh my god, this guy thinks the comedy store is gonna let him do things. That and that's a really disappointing thing to see because you're like, oh man, his soul's going to be crushed by this place. I think when I started here, people warned. I did get warnings, not from people that I particularly trusted, obviously, but I got warnings, and I was just like, the only show that was actually, the only show that was actually running as a podcast that was somewhat listened to. And, and when I say some, somewhat, you guys were getting 10,000 before I even got here. Like you were in the 8,000, 9,000 range. And then I got here. So your, your, your show was the first one we got into. It was the Comedy Store podcast up in the room. And then you had started Rick Ingram Talks to Strangers, which is the show that we launched with Sarah Tiana when I got here, which is still one of my just like my favorite things that we did. Um, but I was terrified. There were three people I was terrified of for different reasons. It was you, Eleanor, and Whitney. And Whitney, I started following during the pandemic and i was just terrified because she was always covered in blood well the other thing is is she uh acted like a lunatic (laughs) on social media for quite some time 
Um, but yeah, you three were the three that I was scared of. And then I got here and like you and Eleanor are two of my favorites easily. And Whitney's been great. And Sarah Tiana, I love to death. And it's just been it, like, you've seen a lot of changing of the guard. How do you compare the comedy store now to like pre-pandemic? I would say two or three years before the pandemic. Everything's just smaller. In uh, what way? Than it was then. It just, uh, Pre-pandemic, there was a lot less people canceled. So got it. There was bigger names around, and um, you know, comedy wasn't as polarizing as it is now. No, everyone has to have a side and everything. It's just different, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. It seems like during the pandemic, there are a lot of names on the wall that are we don't see them anymore. Yeah, rightfully so. It seems like everyone everyone seems to be in agreement that it's nobody that's deeply missed. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you reap what you sow, I guess. Oh, so you got here. You started doing. Um, you started doing. You were doing impressions. How far in did you realize? Oh shit! This crowd work thing is kind of my deal now. Um, well, I did impressions, and then the other door guys, my my brothers of Comedy Store, pulled me aside and were like, dude, you should never do impressions ever again. Impressions are the dumbest shit of all time. You can't make fun of people off stage and then go on stage and do impressions. And I was like, that makes sense. And so it was like Dave Taylor and Ari Shafir and Steve Renazizi. They basically... Convinced me, like, you're way funnier than doing impressions. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, that's probably true. So then I tried to do regular comedy for a few years. And then that's when, like, when I went on the road with Pauly, I just had an act. It was like stupid fucking regular bits. And you um, didn't like that? Oh, it was terrible. I hate it. Anytime I had to tell the same jokes. That was my thing. It felt, I just felt. Like a fraud. Yeah, it was like I was doing a play or something. That was what I hated about stand-up the most, telling the same jokes over and over, but having to force the audience like to believe that it was a, like a natural conversation and things were coming to you on the spot. I mean, that's the, the craft. And yeah. If you can accept... Basically, if you can accept that you're a sellout as much as anyone with a regular job and just do it, then... It's not that big of a deal. But at the time, it felt really... Like, I just I was young and stupid, so in my mind, I'm like, I'm probably going to be super famous and successful very quickly, and I am not going to need to worry about any of that. And then, for some reason, it just didn't pan out. Do you think... So this is... I guess it's a two-parter. Do you prefer... The world of the the, the way stand up is now with the boom in social media, or do you prefer how it was back then? And do you think that social media back then, when you were first doing this, would have benefited you more? Uh, I mean, I I don't care for social media in the slightest. I'm shocked. So you're so good at it. <laughs> it would be it would be awesome if there was none required whatsoever, and the people who thrive based on social media are in no way anyone I respect by any means. Interesting. So yeah. it's like, when I see people doing that shit, I'm just immediately like, oh, 
that poor fucking asshole making all that money and being successful making these fucking videos and everyone who makes crowd work videos is the fucking worst and i i know i'm better than most people at crowd work and it's watching people's clips i feel like it must be i feel like michael jordan watching people doing dunk videos and it's being like dude bad. you got to see this and like whenever i see someone's clip like people will post crowd work clips and it'll be like where are you from <laughs> milwaukee oh man yeah that, that place sucks and then i'm watching i'm like that that's they not only said that but then they filmed it and they're like oh i gotta cut that this is the one i gotta put that on a clip, clip. It. yeah I'm going to release three of these today. Well, that that's that's what's been fascinating to me. And I know we've, we've had conversations. I won't call them debates, but we've had conversations about Matt Reif. Like, for somebody to post a bad clip, and I'm not saying Matt Reifs are bad. I'm saying that they're, they are what they are. But you have, like, I would be, my curiosity is that guy who posted the Milwaukee clip, what the fuck was the rest of his set about? Yeah. Like, what, what did he do for the other, even 15 minutes? Well, that's the problem is, like, they might be, they might be okay at comedy. Yeah. Like there's a possibility that they're they're an okay comedian, like a reasonable feature most places around America at a show. But it, most people aren't good at doing crowd work. Like it, uh, the average comedian is quicker than the average person, but doesn't mean that they're smart enough to come up with things on the spot. Yeah. So it's like. It, you're not going to benefit. Well, that's the problem is that there are people who benefit from doing fucking mediocre crowd work. But the problem clips. is that the problem isn't that they benefit from it. The problem is that the ones that do benefit from it make the others think that they can too. And I see that a lot here where there are a lot of people that are doing crowd work now that were not doing crowd work two years ago when I got here. But what always amazed me about your crowd work is you'll pull up like actual educational historical facts about a place when you're talking to the crowd they'll they'll give you an answer of where they're from what they do and you know stuff about it where yeah your your milwaukee example is yeah someone will just stumble and not know what the fuck to do with it like what do i what do i reply with because i don't know anything about whatever state this is so that that's what i was always impressed with you and also you have written material that always works in the form of crowd work, which is how I also separate you from people who do crowd work and it's never the same material. That's why I consider you more of a stand-up than an improviser, because you do have material that you can reuse, but it does come out natural enough that nobody knows. Like that- Those Fools. I mean, basically, they're, they're just dumb. No, I mean, I, that, that's, what, that's what always separated you in my mind from other people who did crowd work is that you can do the same crowd work on multiple shows. To me, that's written comedy. Uh, we're, we're winding down. It looks like you've gotten very far. Um, <laughs> what if you could change one thing about yourself? What would it be? Uh, tenacity. Have less of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're gonna wrap it up there. Yeah. There's no other question to ask. Uh, so again, I did not finish this. We've been going on four episodes trying to finish this. You got the stones, man? We're Come on, there. Dude. We're getting there, man. Sad. It's uh, a sad state. Rick, where can people find you? 
Um, you can see me wandering around the streets, Los Angeles, uh, rarely helping the homeless, uh, doing what I can to make sure people know that society is crumbling and there's nothing we can do about it. I also, can you show, can you show us how far you got? Okay. So what, what struggles did you have with that? Uh, because you got further than Don Barris, but by about three parts. Yeah. My, my problem was, uh, interest in the project. <laughs> Okay, we're going to end it there. <laughs> Thank you, Rick Ingram. Uh, follow us online, Building Friendship Series, Sating Sosis, and uh, we'll see you next time. I don't know, I should cancel myself. <laughs>